Welcome to Rainbow Turtle Rebooted. This is a podcast series about fair trade and the people involved in it. It is brought to you by Rainbow Turtle, the fair trade shop and charity based in Scotland. Hello everyone. I'd just like to welcome Liz Cotton to our new series of fair trade interviews. And I know Liz really as a fair trade campaigner. She was the founder of Rainbow Turtle in Paisley, which is a fair trade shop and charity. And she's now gone on to open up her own shop up north. And I just wanted to sort of chat with her today about her life and um, the things that she's done. So welcome, Liz. Thank you. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yes, I am. Apart from a broken wrist. Apart from a broken wrist, but, uh, but yes, we can live with that. Indeed. So uh, I just want to sort of go back to the beginnings and sort of ask you where you grew up and what were sort of your early influences or the people who sort of influenced you? Well, gosh, where I grew up. I grew up all over the place from Lancashire, Cheshire, London, Northumberland, um, before I went off to university in Edinburgh and then basically been in Scotland ever since with a quick trip to Australia. Um, I guess my influences from early days growing up would, would be very much my parents. We were brought up in a home where sort of love, justice, peace, fairness, equality, putting each other first, putting people first before ourselves was, was, was just normal. It was just the thing that you did. Yeah, parents were forever looking out for other people and taking people into their home. And it was just how life was and it just seemed a very natural uh, I guess yes early influence is very much my parents so yes yeah, so when I went to university I think one of the first things I did was get involved with campaign coffee yeah you could only drink it with lots of milk and sugar in it I seem to remember campaign coffee was um I did get involved with campaign coffee at Edinburgh at, at university and used to pack it for people and have major arguments with my flatmates who would kind of understand the principles behind it but refused to drink it and um, so it did become a sort of Sunday lunchtime matter of conversation every week if not argument about the rights and wrongs of it and and, and that sort of thing um, and and I suppose that was that was one of the, the starting points for being involved in fair trade from from the early days I guess the next big influence was when I went to Mozambique. A um, friend invited me to go with them to take some uh, money that they'd raised to help a local church there. Um, and it was during the Civil War. And I just said, yeah, I'll come. Not really having a clue what I was doing. And off we went with a vision, as you do, very naively, that we were going to go and help people. But very quickly, within the first few minutes, realised that that wasn't really the case at all, that we were we were taking a few things that people might need in the very short term, but but people were not necessarily needing that sort of help, and and it was yeah very sort of as I say yeah very naive thought uh, process that I was going through. But so the sorts of people that we were we were living with in, in a, a house that was occupied by goodness knows how many people who had all been displaced from their local communities and and had been put up by. The, the bishop that we were staying varied from people who'd 
uh, been maimed in the war, who'd been injured, who'd lost family members. Um, but one notable person was a lady called Desi, or a young woman at that point, who was studying for her medical finals. She was a, a single mum, and I think her partner was in prison in South Africa for various reasons and she was um had this this lovely young daughter and was was studying as i say for her medical finals using books that were translated into various different languages she got books in spanish and portuguese and english um i don't know if there was many other languages as well they were photocopied she was having to study by candlelight in the middle of the night electricity would keep coming and going and at the same time she was running around with us translating and looking after us being generally a real good friend and, and you just thought, well, people here, I mean, there are people who are struggling against all the odds, very, very capable people, very able to get on with life. But it's just the way that the world has um, often put things upside down for, for various countries and peoples and communities. It's about helping people as such, but it's about trying to put things in place for for communities, for people, for mm, mm. whole countries to be able to get on and work through things for themselves, um, and and challenge the way that the way that the world is operating. And I think that's that's what really sort of spoke to me that that it's the injustices, it's the unfairnesses that need to be challenged, rather than always trying to help poor people in some distant land. Um, but challenge the reasons why people are in the position that they're in. And I think that's what got me into fair trade because it seemed just to be a very simple, a very logical, a very straightforward way to to put right some of the wrongs that we have done to, to make things um, better, to make things fairer, to challenge systems and, and to engage people in conversation as to why this is important and uh, and in the early days certainly that's what always happened that you would mm, offer yeah. somebody a cup of fair trade coffee and they might ask what is this coffee and then you could mm. open a conversation about it mm. um and and that's i suppose why i got into fair trade and and why it was so um important to me and uh, did you you were starting out as a sort of a, a fair trade seller or retailer uh at first, weren't you? Yeah, so in the early days, so having sort of been to Mozambique, come back, done various other things, then I got involved with a woman called Mary, who was the local um, coordinator for fair trade in Renfrewshire. And she sort of pulled me into being a fair trader mm. and just meant selling a few things to families and friends. And I thought, that's great, you know, through through Tradecraft, it was Tradecraft Fair Trader. Very quickly that kind of escalated and I got to know more people and we would sort of get involved in doing fairs and markets and sales all over the place. And, and it was quite good fun, but it was also, yeah, it became more and more of a challenge to to do more and the more fair trade suppliers that you met, that you got involved with, the more you wanted to do um, on their behalf and the more, yeah, the more involved I got, the more it kind of took over life. Um, and and then it, it did so it took over the day job the day job sort of got put on the back burner um, and it was through a friendship with Alison Patrick really that mm. um, she wanted to get involved as well and said well what can we do how can we how can I help you mm. how can I be involved 
and that was really difficult if everything was in my house and, and stuff. So we started looking for premises that we could operate from. At that point, still thinking sale or return, that if we had somewhere we could store the stuff, then she and other people could become involved and we could work together on it. And so we found a room in the Methodist Church in Paisley, and they offered us uh, rooms upstairs. And we set up there, but very quickly, we realised that the shop down the stairs was empty and was so put in a a note of interest. Could we possibly have use of the shop? And things kind of went from there. And Mm -hmm. the rest is kind of history, as they say. Indeed, indeed. So um, how did that feel the the first day that you opened the shop then? That was what? 2002, 2003, I can't remember. But it was around at that time, yeah. Um, It was really, really exciting. But because we played shops for so long, Hmm. it never quite felt like a real shop it still felt like we were just um uh not playing as such but we were we were putting on a stall for people rather than it being an official official shop but but no i think i think the very first day we opened it was so exciting and i believe you were one of our first customers there's there's photographic evidence to prove it (laughs) there is photographic evidence that you came into that shop and and have been the best customer ever since um (laughs) and and now look at you (laughs) the world (laughs) have an empire yeah so it was um no it was really exciting i think the most exciting thing the most um affirming thing was the numbers of people that came in to support not just to shop but to offer um to to volunteer in the shop to offer to do accounts to do um all sorts of things that that i had no idea that people would want to do to support to encourage to yeah just the support from the whole community it was it was fantastic and you went on to do an mba as well didn't you was that was that as a result of rainbow turtle or was that before i think it was kind of just before and during i I guess because we're setting up the the business thought it might be a good idea to do that and um what sort of favorite memories do you have from that time that you were at rainbow turtle I think I think I just loved there's so many memories that uh-huh. uh, they are all noted down ready for for a, a book ah, one day. Right. Um, so you won't be revealed on this podcast then. Most, <laughs> most of them involve um may possibly involve people's uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think I, I just loved I loved the um opening day uh-huh. particularly because of all the people and I, I loved it the day that we got um fair trade status for Paisley and we had a parade mm. through the town. And the numbers of people that were involved in that, I loved, you know, all the schools coming out and the, and all people dressed up and the balloons and, and, and just, just, yeah, all the people that decided that they, they were with Brilliant. us and, and it was a community venture. It wasn't just Rainbow Turtle. I think, I think every time it was something involving the community and the, the, when it, it wasn't Rainbow Turtle doing something, it was Rainbow Turtle being part of something much bigger, really sort of resonated with me things we did in the town hall so lots and lots of people I loved when producers come all the different producers that have been over which always just keeps reaffirming that what what you were doing really means something personally to somebody else and you've always got a face and a name behind a product and and they they'll work for all the other products as well so whether it's the um you know honey from Guatemala whether it's cotton from India whether it's rice from Malawi um whoever it would be we had a big hit with the the guy the banana producer I was just going to say Poncho the banana (laughs) the celebrity 
I think that was one that has to be one of the highlights, doesn't it? It does. It does. And it's just that that face, all the school children that just crowded and was wanting his autograph, and um, he was a yeah total celebrity. I think that, that has to be one of the highlights, doesn't it? Yeah. I think I just love going down to um, you know we used to take stalls out on Saturdays and things, and going down to Loch Gilphead, up to Oban, across to sort of quite far flung places. Uh, and when we opened the shop in Linlithgow as well, that was a, another big mm. highlight. Mm. And it's just really nice to see that shop still going and, and still thriving. In that it's changed hands again since we passed it on to Cyril. Um, mm. But it, it's still there. And I think she's thinking of opening a second shop as well. Gosh. So so the legacy of Rainbow Turtle and all the people that have been involved in it is, mm. is sort of keeping going. And, and I guess, yeah. Obviously. It still has a really good reputation. And it's sort of very much part of the, the fabric of... Paisley and Renfrewshire and mm. held very much as a beacon of fair trade. Mm. It's a highly respected organisation. Yeah. Have you have you got uh, uh, anything that you're most proud of from your time at Renfrewshire? What, what would you say that of your time at Rainbow Turtle? Something that sort of stands I out? I think possibly I'm just, I don't know if it's pride, but I'm, I think one of the most difficult things that I've done was mm, to mm. my life mm. um you know and it did a lot for me being able to let go and leave it in other capable hands was was a big effort and I think um whether it's pride whether it's satisfaction that to see Rainbow Turtle carrying on and and people carrying on with it um I think is is huge because you do get so engrossed so involved yourself that yeah it was really hard to let go really hard to let go I think that's one of the biggest moments is that it's still there it's still thriving there are it's it still means a lot to all sorts of people and it's nothing about me <laughs> you know because it was defined me in many ways yeah. um rather than me defining rainbow turtle so rainbow turtle was just a huge part of my life and it's just mm. really lovely to see it mm. actually being part of so many other people's lives yeah definitely I mean I still get people coming in and saying how it's so important to them that you know they've been coming to Rainbow Turtle and they still support it mm -hmm. uh, so yeah I mean we're really fortunate we still uh, have that there because I remember during your time and uh, after that the number of times that we've been threatened with the closure, whatever, but mm -hmm. um, it still keeps going. And it's usually because of the commitment of the people involved with it, mm -hmm. whether volunteers or members. And I always used to think every time we had, um, I mean, it, it really was like a cycle that you would, things would be going really well. And then suddenly there'd be, you know, volunteers would mm -hmm. retire or move away or whatever. And you'd had a big gap or something would happen. But and just as you thought, every time in my time, just as you, this is it, you know, mm, mm. how are we going to get over this one? Mm, mm. Somebody would appear out of the blue, out of nowhere, and just come along and say, here I am as a volunteer, or I can do this, or I've just given you some money or something. And and I always call these my angels. Mm, um, everybody who came in was there's another angel and another oh. angel will come. <laughs> and, yes. um, and it was amazing how many angels came and just... It's um, still happening. It's rescued. still happening. And, yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so, so it got to a point, actually, that I would think it's OK because an angel's going to come. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes they would leave you hanging on till the very, <laughs> till the very last minute. But bingo, they, they would come. 
We'll leave Liz with her angels and catch up with her in the next episode where she talks about moving on from Rainbow Turtle and what she did afterwards. Thank you for listening to the Rainbow Turtle Rebooted Podcast. If you've liked what you've heard, please subscribe to our series and better still rate our podcast and leave us a comment. Also, tell your friends! A wee thanks to Patrick Quinn for his piece of music, Dr. Anne and her books, and to Patrick and Maureen Quinn for playing so beautifully. We'll see you further on. Cheerio! Cheerio!